This is Bill Woods, and I have been doing some homework here. I've been studying about uh, soul winning and techniques and stuff to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that we know that uh, do not know the Lord. And I, through this, have been studying quite a bit about hell. Hell is a reality. Hell is real. Yeah, I know people say, well, I don't believe in hell, but that doesn't make any difference whether you do or not because that doesn't change the existence and God said it's there. And I've been very burdened lately about the fact that uh, we have been so casual about trying to tell people about Jesus Christ and really we need to uh, get ourselves uh, going and, and uh, realize that we've only got so much time in order to to warn people that they need to accept Christ as their Savior or pay the consequences in an eternity in hell. And so I wanted to ask the question today, who do you know who is going to hell? I would go back to Numbers chapter 16 and remind you the story there that there were 250 people that were led by Korah that challenged Moses' right to be the leader of Israel. Ultimately, they weren't just challenging Moses, they were challenging God. God told Moses to have these discontents bring their censers full of incense to the tabernacle and God would settle this, this dispute. They came. Uh, God allowed them to understand that Moses and Aaron were his choice and then God opened the earth and swallowed the 250 men, their families, and all their livestock and all their belongings. The next day, the congregation complained to Moses because those people had been killed, destroyed. God sent a plague that was killing people wholesale because it angered him to have the people complain against him and against Moses. I can say these people didn't learn very quickly. Moses, then Aaron, when they saw what was happening, they saw the cloud over the tent of meeting and they, they fell on their faces before God to worship him and then Moses told Aaron go get his censer and run uh, between the, the plague, between the people and the wrath of God to stop this plague. Aaron was literally standing between the dead and the living. You know, that is a picture of where Christians are today, standing between the dead and the living. In Numbers 16, 46 through 50, it says, And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly and behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the affair at, of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the people, or when the plague was stopped. In Ezekiel 3:18 and 19, we read where it says, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning or speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life that the wicked person shall die for his iniquity but his blood I will require at your hand but if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way 
He shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. In Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, there's an interesting story. It said, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some of the men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But you, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things this day. Who do you know who is needing Christ? Who do you know who is going to end up in hell. Do you care? I was uh, reading about the police and firemen in Al Alameda, California that watched a man drown on Monday, May the 30th, 2011. After realizing that they didn't have proper certifications for water rescue, leaving them open to possible lawsuits if they attempted to save him. The drowning victor victim was 53-year-old Raymond Zack, who apparently, was apparently suicidal. He waded out about 150 yards into cold waters off Crown Beach in Alameda and took about an hour to drown himself. A crowd of about 75 gathered to watch the bizarre scene which saw police and firemen just standing at shoreline watching helplessly. After the man had drowned, authorities couldn't even go into the surf to retrieve the body. Instead, they recruited a passerby for the job. City officials reportedly blamed the incident on budget cuts and said they would have a discussion about, about why Alameda, an island city, doesn't have proper authorization to rescue people from the waters surrounding it. One fireman was interviewed and asked if he saw a child drowning 75 feet out in the water, would he try to save the child? He answered, if I was off duty, I might try to save a child, but on duty, I'd have to watch our department's policies and regulations. I guess the kid would drown. How very terrible. How can you explain such callousness? Well, it happened here in Arizona. On May 28, 2022, three Tempe police officers watched a man drown in a Tempe Town Lake. He, the man and his wife had had a fight. He said he was going to go out in the water and drown himself. The police said, don't do it because we won't help you. He went out and he drowned. And uh, again, these men have been laid off for, for until they can see what happened there and, and review 
the situation. I remember a man in Walla Walla, Washington watched his stepson drown because, well, he said he didn't want to get his new suit wet. That's horrible. What's even more horrible is to watch our loved ones be engulfed in sin and end up going to hell. At an early evangelistic meeting, evangelist Mordecai uh, Ham went after the worst sinner in the area. He said, who is the worst one? And he went out and found the man hiding in a cornfield. What are you going to do to me? The man asked the evangelist. Ask God to kill you, he said. Why, said the man. Why not, said the evangelist. You don't believe in God, so shouldn't bother you. Please don't pray that, said the man. All right, I'll pray for God to save you. The man accepted Christ, and he and his whole family were baptized. As Christians, we become callous to the idea of hell and the fact that most of the people we know are going to end up there. I, I tried to talk to a man yesterday about his need for Jesus Christ before it's too late, and he said, well, he just didn't believe in hell. Well, it's a fact, whether you believe it or not. You know, it's, it's one of those situations that your belief or non-belief doesn't change the truth. Luke chapter 13, 23 and 24 said, And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. We forget that we're standing between the dead and the living. Again, back to number 16, starting at verse 41, going to 50. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, <clears throat> and the glory of the Lord appeared, and Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and, and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. You know, that's the position of Christians today. People we know are on their way to hell, and we have the truth that can stop the carnage, but too often we're not prepared to use that truth. There are four calls to soul winning that I want to talk about today. First is the call from above. God has called us to do the work of winning souls for him. Mark 16:15 said, And he said to them, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
Too often we let our own preconceived notions get in the way. We feel that some people aren't worth the effort or, or maybe not the type to want to accept God as their Savior. Her name was Mrs. Thompson. She stood in front of her fifth grade class on the very first day of school and told the children a lie. She looked at her students and said she loved them all the same, but that was impossible because of the in the front row slumped in his seat was a little boy named Teddy Stoddard. Mrs. Thompson was, had watched Teddy the year before and noticed he didn't play well with the other children, that his clothes were messy and he constantly needed a bath, and Teddy could be very unpleasant. It got to the point where Mrs. Thompson would take delight in marking his papers with a broad red pen making bold X's and then putting a big F at the top of his papers. At the school where Mrs. Thompson taught, she was required to review each child's past records. She put Teddy's off until last. However, when she reviewed his file, she was in, in for a surprise. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and has good manners. He is a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness. Life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote, His mother's death had been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest, and his home life will soon affect him if some steps aren't taken. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn, doesn't show much interest in school, he doesn't have many friends, and he sometimes sleeps in class. By now, Mrs. Thompson realized the problem and she was ashamed of herself. She felt even worse when her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright paper, except for Teddy's. His present was clumsily wrapped in the heavy brown paper that he got from the grocery bag. Mrs. Thompson looked, took pains to open it in the middle of the other presents. Some of the children started to laugh when she found a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle that was one quart, quarter full of perfume, but she stifled the children's laughter when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was putting it on and dabbing some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy Stoddard stayed after school just long enough to say, Mrs. Thompson, today you smell just like my mom used to. After the children left, she cried for at least an hour. That very day, she quit teaching reading and writing and arithmetic. Instead, she began to teach children. Mrs. Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy as she worked with him. His mind seemed to come alive and she encouraged him, and the faster he responded. Uh, by the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in the class, and despite her lie that she loved all the children the same, Teddy became her teacher's pet. A year later, she found a note under her door from Teddy, telling her that she was still the best teacher he ever had in his whole life. Six years went by before she got another note from Teddy, he wrote that he had finished high school third in his class and she was still the best teacher he ever had in his whole life. 
Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he'd stayed in school, had stuck with it, and would soon graduate from college with the highest of honors. He assured Mrs. Thompson that she was still the best and favorite teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Four more years passed and another letter came. This time he explained that after he had got his bachelor's degree, he decided to go a little farther. The letter explained that she was still the best and favorite teacher he had ever had, but now his name was a little longer. The letter was signed Theodore F. Stoddard, M.D. The story doesn't end there. There was another letter that's that next spring. Teddy said he'd met this girl and was going to be married. He explained his father had died a couple years ago, and he wondered if Mrs. Thompson might agree to sit in the place at the wedding that was usually reserved for the mother of the groom. Well, of course, Mrs. Thompson did, and she wore that bracelet, the one with several rhinestones missing, and she made sure that she wore the perfume that Teddy remembered his mother wearing on that last Christmas they had together. They hugged each other, and Dr. Stoddard whispered to Mrs. Thompson in Mrs. Thompson's ears, Thank you, Mrs. Thompson, for believing in me. Thank you for making me feel important and showing me that I could make a difference. Mrs. Thompson, with tears in her eyes, whispered back, Teddy, you have it all wrong. You were the one who taught me that I could be a, make a difference. I didn't know how to teach until I met you. You know, I've met people that I thought were unreachable and and a waste of time only to find that God didn't feel the way I did, that Jesus Christ came to die for them too. I remember Nancy who worked at a Safeway store in Pullman, Washington. She was the most sour, crabby, unattractive woman that I'd ever met up until then. And you just didn't want to go in her grocery line because you didn't know what she might say or how she might bite your head off. One day she showed up at church and ended up giving her life to Jesus Christ. And what a change! Her looks even softened, and she became attractive, and she became very, very friendly and nice to be around. Jesus Christ made the difference. I remember Bob that couldn't imagine God would send his son Jesus to die for our sins. He's constantly rejected the message and would tell me invariably to leave every time that I tried to call upon him. He got saved. What a change. Well, there's a call, like I said, from above. There's a call from below. <clears throat> Victor Yeh was an exchange student from Thailand. He kept asking me to take him to Sunday school and church. I was embarrassed over our unqualified Sunday school teacher because of some of the things he did. I never took Victor with me. I would tell him something like, well, Victor, you know, maybe later we can take you to church. Maybe later you'll find out about Jesus Christ. To my horror, Victor drowned that summer. I remember Mr. Britton, an old man who befriended me. He lived only a couple of houses down from me in Grand Coulee. I used to visit with him. When he got sick, I wanted to talk to him about Jesus Christ, but his wife ran interference. She said, don't upset him. I'm afraid if you go in, you will upset him, and I don't want that to happen. I never got pushy enough, and I didn't speak to him. I'm so sorry. Mr. Shy needed Jesus Christ. I did talk to him, 
but he said he wasn't really interested. And then again, when he got sicker, I wanted to try again, but his wife shut me out. As far as I know, those three are in hell today. And at Judgment Day, they're going to face me with the question, Why? Why didn't you try harder when you knew the way? Then there's the call from within. That would be the people we're related to, the people from our home. I suppose the hardest people to reach is our own family. Somehow we think God will overlook their sins because they're our loved ones and give them some slack because of who we are. We tend to do that. Listen, God doesn't give special favors to our relatives. They must accept Jesus Christ as their Savior or they will go to hell. They can't get through on my merit or on your merit. My dad thought he could skate on whatever merit I had earned because he raised me and he had told me, he had told God that he could have me. He was in the Philippines in World War II. He was under heavy fire. Didn't look like he would even get out alive and he promised God in that foxhole that if God would get him home that God could have his infant son to use however he wanted to use him. I always thought that was kind of different because, you know, he was... Didn't promise God that he'd live for him, but he promised him his boy. In Ezekiel 18, 19 through 22, it said, Yet you say, Why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from his sins and has committed that he has committed, and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him, for the righteousness that he has done he shall live. You know, your family won't make it to heaven because you're a Christian. They'll, they'll only get there by repenting of their sins and accepting Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. Luke 16, 27 through 31, it talks about the rich man Dives and the Lazarus, and both of them had died. Rich man had been very uh, hostile to Lazarus and not caring at all about him, let him be at the gate, didn't feed him, the dogs licked his story, you know, you can look it up. Well, anyhow, the rich man has died and he's in, in hell. And he says, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, send Lazarus, who he's talking about, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Then there's the call from without. And the question again, Who do you know who is going to hell? The majority of people you know, unless you get burdened for them and hold them up in intercessory prayer, and begin to witness to them and warn them about their need for Jesus Christ. And unless you let God use you to touch their lives, most of them will probably be lost for all eternity. And that's forever, people. 
When Robert Ingersoll, the notorious skeptic, was in his heyday, two college students went to hear him lecture. As they talked after the lecture, one said, well, I guess he knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? The other said, no, I don't think he did. Ingersoll didn't explain my mother's life, and until he can explain my mother's life, I'll stand by my mother's God. Question again, who do you know is, who is going to hell? Do you care? Will you let God use you to reach them? What a responsibility we have as Christians, and I am praying that God will help me to reach others that need Jesus Christ, that he will lay names upon my life and, and upon my heart, and I might be able to witness to them and warn them that God loves them and has a plan for their life, that hell was not created for human beings, it was created for the devil and his angels, and if we go there, we go there as intruders because Jesus Christ has done everything except force our will. He took our sins upon himself. He died on the cross. He went into the grave for three days. He rose again. He's alive forevermore. What more would you want your God to do for you than to say, I have prepared a place for you if you will accept my plan and I will come and get you and take you that you may be with me for all eternity. I hope that you are listening and you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. And I hope that your burden, if you have, that you'll help others find Jesus as their Savior too. Father, I would ask today that you'll help us become more aware of the plans that you have for our lives. But more than that, Lord, that you'll help us to become concerned about the people we know that we could reach for Jesus Christ if we would put forth the effort. Help us, Lord, to realize the responsibilities we have to win souls to you and that, Lord, if we neglect, well, they're going to be lost, but they will face us in eternity and want to know why didn't you do more to tell me about Jesus. Father, wake us up. Help us to come alive for you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to contact me again, you know the routine. Uh, email is lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. The mailing address is box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. And you can tune into my podcast, which is called The Church of the Galilean. Once you get there, then you look and you see where it says there's still power in the blood. Or it might say Bill Woods. Click on that. You'll get this sermon and all the other sermons I've preached recently. God bless you. I hope that you will realize that what I've told you today is 100% true and that you will act on it. God bless.